awesome. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, you'll turn me to the middle of the Bible. You'll find a small book called Lamentations this morning to start the year. We are going to be in this book. And then next week, we are, Lord willing, going to start a sermon series looking at the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. So, uh, you know, we're going to start with the end in mind. So let me encourage you to get ready for that uh, as well. But start the year uh, as we uh, this morning look to this incredible book of Lamentations. It's incredible. 2020 is here. I don't know about you, but 2020 is here, y'all. I mean, it's here. I mean, I remember being a kid and just thinking, wow, 2020, it seems so far away, but here we are. And I remember for several years kind of thinking of my life, thinking, what will life be like in 2020? I don't know why that marker was more than others, maybe kind of 2020 vision, and what will the vision be like in 2020? So let me ask you, now that we arrived, is it what you thought? Are you where you thought you would be? Uh, is life what you thought it would be? It's, it's an interesting for all of us. There's probably some, man, it's better than a lot of ways. And for many of us, it's like, wow, I just didn't expect 2020 to look like this or to start like this. And so wherever you are, I, this is a new year. Uh, this is a new decade. It feels nice. I don't know about you, but every year that rolls around, especially a new decade, it kind of feels a little bit like a, a do-over. When I was a kid growing up, back in those days, and I'm not going to tell you how long ago, it was a long time ago, but back in those days as a kid growing up, and I know a lot of you can relate to this, this is a crazy idea, but you ready for this? Neighborhood kids played in the neighborhood together. They, didn't, they weren't just like online, you know, playing with who knows who, but they were, we, we played in the neighborhood with neighborhood kids and we played games like kick the can. Anybody remember kick the can or, or freeze tag or red rover, you know, I mean, those were, those were some good times. As a matter of fact, uh, we went on bikes and we just got on bikes and we kind of went anywhere. We didn't even wear helmets back then. What were we thinking? What were our parents thinking, you know? And it wasn't like, where are you going to go and how far are you going to we, we just got on our bikes and it was like we owned the world. It was awesome. But when it comes to playing those games, I mean, something magical about those games. But I don't know how this rule got in those games, but there was always this ability that in the middle of the game that someone could yell, do over, if you're in there, do over. And it was like, it was a magical thing. I mean, there's this magical do over that it's a fresh start. And wherever you have been and whatever was going on with the game, good or bad, it's like, Phew, it's over, the past is gone. We got a do over. We're starting it all again. I know every new year, it feels a little bit to me like a do over. Do you long for like that do-over in your life? And what areas of your life do you wish you could just yell do-over? What, what things that have happened that just kind of that butt in your life? There's those things of like to say, man, if I could just do that conversation, do that, that life or whatever that moment over, you can magically start again afresh. That the past is wiped away, that you find strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, that do-over. You see, what I love about God's Word and God's story, the Bible, is the Gospel story is a story of hope. I mean, in 66 books and two testaments, hope is found. In some of the darkest places, hope shines. Hope is shed throughout the story. And then hope is really embodied in a person. 
Hope is in a person named Jesus who's son of God, son of man. It's amazing. And the good news of the gospel is it's like, it's like a do-over button for our lives that every day we have this good news of the gospel, this hope to start again. In a book called Lamentations, written by a prophet named Jeremiah in a really, really, really dark time. It's got to be one of the darkest books in the Bible. It's, it's a time of God's exile. It's a time where things have gotten so bad for God's people. And although they've had repeated opportunities to repent and turn to God, they just acted like he didn't exist. They were worse than that. They started worshiping false gods, and they were just living their lives so poorly that it led to something called exile, something where they were booted out of the promised land. And it was bad. I mean, it was really, really dark. I've never had darkness like this. It, it describes darkness like where cannibalism was there and just the, the longing for food, the longing for light. And in the midst of a dark book that may be the darkest in the Bible, light shines. Not only does light shine, but there's a formula there's a formula for hope in the midst of lamentations. Of the unlikeliest places, God's love and hope shines. And we're going to find three things this morning in the book of Lamentations. We're going to find a love that never quits, a mercy that never ends, and faithfulness that never fails. Now, does anybody need those things? This is amazing good news. So we're going to look at the Lamentations, and our focus today is really going to be chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But I want to give you the flavor for the book. And so I'm going to go back, and I'm going to pick up in verse 16. And I'm going to read 16 through 26. And let's be mindful. This is God's Word. It's a holy, active Word. And it was written a long time ago for a specific group of people. But because the Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah, it's a living word that was written for us too. And it was meant for us too. So lean in. This isn't a story that you just are to observe. This is a story that you are to taste and feel and to be a part of. Because this is God's word. The word of the Lord beginning in verse 16 in chapter 3. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remembering my afflictions, my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. That's pretty bleak, isn't it? But, but, this I call to mind and therefore I hope the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my, my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good for those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word and how true it is. And that, God, that you, you tell us the truth about our lives and the brokenness of our world. And the book of Lamentations gets about as dark as it can get.
And God, I'm so grateful that you're a God of reality. You're a God that doesn't cause us to try to pretend that things aren't really bad and they're not really hard. And they're not really broken and undone. But God, because of your love and the work of your Son, we have the power to face that darkness and find hope in you. For hope in a God who just can't stop loving, a God who will never stop giving mercy, and a God whose faithfulness never fails. That is the news we need to hear. In a world right now that seems so, again, just poised to tip in the direction of evil, in a world that there's so much chaos, in our lives where there's so much darkness, would you come and shine light? God, I pray that you'd speak through a sinner like me, that God, the things that I say that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, those are the things that you'd use to make us more like your son and to give us hope. And the things that I say are wrong and just merely my opinion that those things would be fallen away and forgotten quickly. God, we pray that in the preaching of the word that you would receive glory, that we would receive comfort and joy and life, peace. And we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So in the midst of this darkness, in this book of Lamentations, and you read through it, don't read through it if you're a little depressed because you'll get to like chapter 3 and you're like, oh my goodness, it's about as dark as it gets. In the midst of that depression of how life is so bad, there's this beautiful transition. There's this beautiful transition, but things are bleak. Things are dark. But I will call to mind my circumstances are really bad, but I'm going to call to mind, and therefore I will have hope. What's he going to call to mind? He's basically saying, I look out at the world and I'm afraid because it's dark and broken, but I'm going to remember something. I'm going to, I'm going to put on a biblical worldview. That's what he says. I'm going to call to mind. I'm going to remember God's story. I'm going to remember God's word. I'm going to, the lens that I'm going to see my life through, the lens that I'm going to see circumstances through, I've got to see it through the lens of the Bible. I have to see it through the lens of, of the good news of Christ. Because things look bad, and if I could only see them with my own eyes, my conclusion is God doesn't care, or God isn't loving, or God has given up on me, or, or, or life isn't worth living. And many of us find ourselves dangerously close to that spot right now. And the reality is, is now you have this good news of the gospel, this biblical, I've got to call this to mind, I've got to put this lens on. Why? Because it produces hope. Because no matter where you find yourself today, there's a bigger story. No matter where you find yourself today, there's a bigger story of what God is doing in creation. And he hasn't left the building. And the first thing he wants to remind us, he should put this on, is listen, he's got a love that never quits. Because God never quits. This steadfast love endures forever. And that, that word, it's a Hebrew, it's a hesed. It's, it's, like, it's like covenant loyalty, covenant promises. His love will never end. And here's what it's saying. It's not conditional love based on our performance. Listen to this. His love never ends. Why? Because it's not conditional, watch this, based on our performance. Almost everything we love is conditional. Everything we love is on the performance of others. But this is a God who says, I love you, I'll never stop loving you, and it's not based on your performance. But watch this, it's based on God's character. God's love is based on his character. 
And the wonderful, incredible good news that I told our kids, I'll remind you, that comes right out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And get this, God is love. It doesn't say this, God is loving. But he is. It doesn't say God shows love. He does. It says more than that. It says God is love. He is the embodiment of love. He is the definition of love. Love is his idea. Love comes from him. And everything that God does, everything that God does, even his justice, even his wrath, even his ruling, is all done out of a God who is love. Can we just lean into this for a minute? Because my definition of love doesn't always fit well with God and his actions. My definition of love doesn't always seem to make sense with what God is doing. Can this be the God of love? Now, in the book of Lamentations, those of Jeremiah who's writing to, I mean, they couldn't have felt love. I mean, it was going to cannibalism, and it was, it was dark. I mean, there was no food. It just seems like God had left the building. So you look at your circumstances and say, really, God is love? He is love. You know, there's a lot of things in my life that, again, I want to stretch over and say, God is loving in this? Things that go maybe the way I didn't hope for. But we got to remember every day of our lives, every morning you wake up, there is a God who loves you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he's a God who's loved. Are you going to argue with that? Are you going to say, no, 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 my circumstances tell me differently, or I feel differently, or my mirror is different? I mean... That's the reality that we have to live with. God is love. And it's beautiful. And that love never quits. And the reason we're so paranoid and afraid is because we've seen human love quit on us all the time. We've seen folks give up on us all the time. Our hearts have been broken over and over and over again. And we live in a world that gives love very, very conditionally. And the beautiful thing about our God is he just gives it unconditionally and lavishes it upon you and me. He's got a love that never quits. You ready for this? He's got a mercy that never ends. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Mercy that is fresh every morning. Listen, here's a beautiful thing. You don't have to live on yesterday's mercy from God. Last years, last decades. He wants to meet you today with new mercy fresh mercy for today. Right out of college, I worked in New York City. And it was such a joy. I mean, I'm, I'm in upstate New York, and we're far from the city. The city life was nothing I was used to, and there's nothing like New York City. There truly is a New York minute if you've been there. We had no kids yet. Katie taught in a Christian school. I commuted in. And one of the joys about getting to New York early in the morning, I don't know what they do in the bagels early in the morning in New York, but if you had a New York bagel early in the morning... There's something really good about a New York bagel. I mean, the number of carbs I've put on in my life through those alone. But something happens if they're not new, if they're not fresh. If you have a bagel later in the day that's kind of been under some lamp, or not nearly as good. If you want the good stuff, get there in the morning, get the fresh stuff, because you want fresh New York bagels. Way more important, you want fresh mercy from God every day. And you don't have to go anywhere to get them. You've got to wake up and let your feet hit the ground and say, morning by morning, new mercies I see, because great is your faithfulness. 
You see, mercy is seen. Now, here's the, here's the key thing. New mercies I see. Do you see God's mercy? Now, it's there. It's there every day, and many of us miss it. How do you see God's mercy? There's two things. You have to have eyes to see God's mercy. And here's the ones who see it, those who need mercy. Those who need mercy and those who show mercy. Those are the ones who see it. Mercy is for the empty and the broken. Mercy is for the needy and the poor. Mercy is those who are guilty and stained. And if you can't resonate with those, if you can't empty, resonate with empty, broken, needy, poor, guilty, and stained, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Because you'll say, I don't need mercy. Unless that's your reality, it's my reality, and it's the, it's the beautiful reality, the upside-down blessedness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus took to a mountain. I just happened to be reading through this this morning. I knew I was going to be here in my devotions this morning. It's the Sermon on the Mount in, in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew. And he says these things. Now, this is Jesus. And he's going to tell us what is, these called the Beatitudes, what is blessed. He says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Blessed are those who are persecuted for me, rejoice and be glad. This incredible gospel, it's basically going to say, listen, if you want to understand and see mercy, you have to need mercy. If you really want to get mercy, you have to give mercy. The gospel, the gospel comes and it's the power of God to show us our need for mercy. We're not good enough. All of us has fallen short. It gives us the power to, to be able to show mercy to others. It gives us the power to see God's mercy. It's not for the worthy. It's not for the self-sufficient. It comes in complete collision with the American dream. Where everything in America says, you're okay on your own. Be good enough on your own, your own self. You could do it. Be self-sufficient. Be self-made. The gospel says, come empty and broken. Know how needy you really are. Know how desperate your condition is. And receive mercy. A mercy that never ends. A mercy that is new every morning. Isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but I have to daily show up at the gospel well. The gospel well and drink deeply. And be reminded that God's love for me never ceases. Man, mine seems so conditional for him. God's mercy never ends. Man, I'm not always merciful. And God is unfailing faithfulness to us. Lastly, a faithfulness that never fails. Anybody have New Year's resolutions? Don't raise your hand. Do you know how long they last typically? First of all, let's talk about this. 8%. I don't know how they come out. 8% of the people who have New Year's resolutions make them. Are you in the 92% or are you in the 8%? Welcome to the 92% right here, you know? And typically, uh, your resolutions will fail by the first month. It's like 86% of all resolutions. Give me one month of January and they're going to go crumbling down. 
But I love the fact about the fact, here's a beautiful reality. God never has to have New Year's resolutions. Why does God never have to have a New Year's resolution? Because he changes not and his faithfulness fails not. That is good news. God's faithfulness never fails. What is that faithfulness? God's word is faithful. Hebrews 6, 18 says God cannot lie. He's not going to not tell you the truth. His word is faithful. God's promises are faithful. God makes huge God-sized promises throughout Scripture. And you've got to see this first. It's amazing. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, Paul tells us that all the promises of God, all the promises of life and grace and mercy, all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus' perfect life, all conditions are met. Because of Jesus' atoning death, all payments were made. And by his resurrection, all the promises are yes in Christ Jesus. That's such good news. They're not all open today. We won't see them all today. But they're all in Christ Jesus. God's work of salvation never fails. Salvation is his idea. It was accomplished through his son. And I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. It's the God who began a good work in us, in the gospel. He is faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. God will never let us go. He saves to the uttermost. My hope is not found in my faithfulness to God. I hope yours isn't found in your faithfulness to God. I hope that's not your hope. But my hope is in his faithfulness to me and to you. Great is his faithfulness. Lukewarm is Jeff's faithfulness. But great is his faithfulness. God promises to make all things new one day. He will. God promises to wipe away all of our tears one day. He will. God promises to forgive all our sins. He does. And he has. God who is great in faithfulness that gives us fresh mercy every day. At the end of the day, it's God's grip on us that gives me hope. It's certainly not my grip on him. Hear the words that you know. I was going to sing it, but I'll just say it. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changes not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Man, did Thomas Chisholm, I think it's called, did he not nail it? Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. This is coming right out of Lamentations 3. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided for me. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, joined with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. There's that triad. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. A love that never quits. A mercy that never ends. And a faithfulness that never fails. So what is our response? In verses 24 and 25, we'll see this. The Lord is my portion, my, my, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. I love that. It's both wait for him and seek him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It says this, the Lord is my portion. He's my inheritance. He's my treasure. He's my prize. He's my hope. 
It's basically saying if you have this understanding of the gospel, you are living for something beyond yourself. Is God your portion? What's your portion? I mean, do you have the grace of God that says in the midst of it all, man, that's my inheritance. In the gospel, he is my hope. It says, I will wait for him. I will wait for the Lord. It's really, it's, it's, I will trust in him. He's going he's gonna to answer. Some of you are waiting right now. Some of you are just hated the waiting. Some of you are longing for God's answer. You've been waiting a long time. Trust him. He will not let you down. Wait for him in prayer. Pray to him. I love this. Not only wait for him, but seek him. Seek him. We said it in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Seek first the kingdom. What are you seeking this year? What's number one to you? It might be something good like your family. Are you making it ultimate? It might be something important like your job. Are you making it ultimate? I mean, seek first God's glory. Seek first his kingdom. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, God's made you for himself. He's made you as an ambassador of Christ. It's something so much bigger than your little story. Seek first the kingdom of God. Pray thy will be done. You own it. You purchased me. You made me. I'm yours. And your will be done in my life. And we we have a a mission statement that living in submission to Christ our King, serving on mission for Christ our King. That should be our, our cry, our response. Let me live in submission and serve on mission. I heard a story uh, that was told um, from a preacher about a man who was a former slave. And this former slave um, received an incredible inheritance from a plantation owner. So the plantation owner passes away and he leaves $50,000 to this former slave. And they calculated it out what they do. It's like about a half a million dollars uh, to this former slave who was just such a great servant, such a became a friend that when this landowner, this plantation owner died, he gave it to him. And so the banker comes up at the funeral and says, I just want you to know that you have received a large sum of money as an inheritance. You you have received $50,000. Thank you very much. A month goes by. He never comes by the bank. A month goes by. He he never touches any of the money. And the banker's confused. I mean, you got $50,000. Your life is radically changed. You just got this inheritance. And why aren't you coming to the bank to get any of it? So the banker wanted to know, what in the world is this guy doing? So he calls him into the bank. And, and sadly, this, this former slave, this, he felt like he did something wrong. He was like nervous. Uh-oh, I'm going to go to the bank. What did I do wrong? The banker sits down with him and goes, let me just make sure you understand. You have inherited, you own $50,000. Okay, clears his throat. He goes, do you think I can have 50 cents to buy some cornmeal? Talk about somebody who completely misunderstood the blessing and the inheritance that they had received. Clearly, we have been given an inheritance in Christ Jesus that says, I'm going to love you that will never quit. I'm going to give you faithfulness that will never fail. And every day I'm going to show up and I'm going to give you mercy. What are you asking from your God? Are you withdrawing every day from the grace of God? Do you show up every day and say, God, you told me that all the blessings are mine in Christ Jesus. And I don't know what that fully means, but I know I'm loved and I know I'm yours. 
And I'm here and I'm needy and I'm broken. Would you fill me up? Would you fill that inheritance up with me? It seems like we live our lives oftentimes going back to God and say, will you give me 50 cents for cornmeal? He's giving you his son. He's giving you his spirit. He's giving you his word. He's not going to hold anything back from you. And it's not that he's going to bless you so you can have a bigger house than your neighbor. He wants to bless you so you shine for Christ Jesus. So that no matter what your circumstances are, you know that you are loved, you receive mercy, and he will be faithful. Withdraw from that every day. You see, that's better than a do-over. It's better than a do-over. It's a daily fresh start. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This meal reminds us of the inheritance that we have. The inheritance we have in Christ Jesus. It reminds us the cost that Jesus would make for us, his very own life. And we're to come and partake and be filled again. My 2020 vision is not for my resolutions to work out. It's for God to give me a do-over every day in Christ Jesus. Amen?